Support the show by donating at themusicbuds.com. Thank you. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Music Buds podcast. This is episode number 14, and my name is Henry. This week, uh, I am so happy to be joined by composer Will Bates, uh, who just worked on the new Netflix series, Away, with Hilary Swank. And he's also done a number of other acclaimed projects, including The Magicians, George R.R. Martin's Night Flyer series, and documentaries including Going Clear about Scientology, We Steal Secrets on WikiLeaks. I mean, the list goes on and on. Will, it is so nice to meet you. Your work is so special to me, and it just, it means a lot for you to be taking the time. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Oh, my pleasure. How is uh, life right now for you? It's pretty strange, but, you know, we're kind of taking one day at a time. I have two kids, which is just a bit challenging. Yeah, sure. 24-7 daycare. It's a three-year-old and a five-year-old. But, you know, they're having the time of their lives. It's getting a bit more of the flies over here. But otherwise, it's great. I've been fortunate enough to be able to kind of keep working throughout the pandemic. I haven't touched wood thus far been hit too hard by it, which I know I'm very fortunate to be able to say that. So, yeah, you know, things are still good. Yeah. I guess just kind of jumping in right now, how did you get started with composing? Was that something you always wanted to do? You know, it kind of it kind of was. From the very beginning, I think I was six years old. I sang the whole score of Star Wars to my parents and they um, went out and bought me a violin, which I tortured them with for a few years. And then, you know, I kind of fell into the saxophone at the age of 11 and got very good very quickly. I was like playing in cafes and bars around West London from the age of 14. But that whole time, I've, I've just always been kind of my first records were all soundtracks. Every that relationship that music has with with film, just from a very early age, always fascinated me. And I think I, you know, when I realized that John Williams was the guy responsible for all my favorite pieces of music as a kid, it just like blew my mind. And I wanted to do what he does, and um, yeah. took a few different paths to get here. Mostly because I didn't really know how to break into this world. But I will say that the only, I've had one proper job, which was working in a suit shop in London. And I, nice. I lasted about a month. I got fired because the owner of the shop realized that my customers were folding their own clothes because I couldn't <laughs> figure that out. Yeah. Um, but, you know, other than that, I've only ever written music and performed music as a way to survive. So it's kind of always been a means to an end for me. And you know, I got into scoring commercials naively thinking that would get me into scoring movies and that started its own path for me in a way. But yeah, long story short, I guess scoring has been the thing that I've always wanted to do from the outset. Yeah. Well, although I do uh, want to get to away, I did really want to touch on these documentaries that you've done, especially oh. with Alex Gibney that I mentioned uh, before, because for example, going clear about Scientology and then We Steal Secrets on WikiLeaks, when I saw that you had worked on those, I honestly had like a gasp because those films, while I've only seen them once, they're two of the most impactful documentaries I think I've ever seen because they're so urgent, so powerful. I was just curious how you got involved with Alex Gibney. I met Alex 
back when I was living in New York, I, I live in LA now, I've been here for about five years. But before that, I lived in New York for 13 years. And I met Alex through an editor that he works with called Sloane Clevin. And she, um, I know her through the advertising world, actually. I, this is kind of like early days of my career, where I was scoring a lot of commercials. And she introduced me to Alex. And I think We Still Secrets was actually the first thing that we did together. This was back before I started my own music production company, Fall On Your Sword. I was kind of working in-house at another place and getting a bit frustrated that the world of advertising, the world of film would never sort of coalesce. They wouldn't cross-pollinate, if that makes sure. sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's really why I left and started my own thing, because I wanted to create a world where those two disciplines would kind of coalesce a bit more. But anyway, I, I met Sloan and she introduced me to Alex and we really hit it off. And, you know, he just seemed to be this incredibly cinematic. Obviously, I've been a fan of his for years, but, you know, yeah. to have the chance to to score something like We Still Secrets. And it was a relatively quick turnaround. It was going to Sundance, so we had to kind of get our skates on. And, you know, that's one thing about working in the advertising world is that you learn speed very quickly. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, one of the only good things probably from that apprenticeship, I guess. Yeah, so I, I, I've always been very fast. And I guess like that, that, you know, documentaries tend to have a lot of music in them as well. So you have to be able to sort of jump in and do lots of stuff. But one thing that just really struck me with Alex, I, that was only the second documentary I'd ever worked on. I'd done a lot of narrative, you know, indie films and stuff up to that point. But his, his style of filmmaking and his use of music is so cinematic and thematic and narrative driven. And it was such a brilliant learning curve for me to kind of do a doc like that. And then of course we went on and did Going Clear, which was just like one of the most fun things I've yeah. ever done. Yeah. Um, so fun. But yeah, that was really the beginning of, of our relationship. And I, you know, since then we've done, blimey, I don't know how many projects together, but lots. Um, yeah, lots. Yeah, he's he's something else. It's yeah. always a pleasure to, to work with, with him. We just finished one called um, Crazy But Not Insane, which is going to probably come out next in a month or two. Oh, sweet. Sweet. Well, I, I did want to ask you about the, the documentary process since you have done a, a different, a lot of different styles is doing something like we steal secrets where there's so much footage. There are so many interviews and different kinds of sequences. Is it different from doing movie, other movies or TV in terms of finding the right approach to that style? I tend to start that process the same way and again that's kind of something that i learned from from alex like it really at the beginning of any project every project is different of course but at the beginning of any project i i tend to sort of have this moment behind the piano where i'm like thinking about a character or a sequence and i am searching for that melody or those chords or those colors that are just kind of intrinsically connected to to this character or, or sequence and until i have that moment i can't really move forward if that makes sense like i yeah. have kind of have this thing that's just like totally unique and sometimes it's it's not even a piano you know it'll be like i tend to get very inspired by sounds and, and sounds tend to sort of give birth to melodies and mm. layers of weird loops and all sorts of stuff like that so i i'll always have this kind of exploratory moment at the beginning of a project and then kind of move forward from there. And, and, you know, I guess ultimately the difference with documentaries is just the amount of music. It's, hmm. 
you're sort of on all the time. I remember like the the first thing that I did for We Still Secrets was um I think it was the Michael Hayden, it's funny, it was in the news yesterday, Michael Hayden sequence kind of early in the movie. It's about a third of the way in. Yeah. And that's sometimes how it works. Like I won't start at the beginning. I'll kind of drop myself in kind of in the first act somewhere and try to find that theme. And he's obviously talking about Julian and it was like a perfect place to start to kind of come up with his theme. And the same with going clear, you know, it's like finding the Elrond melody was, was yeah, the, yeah. the thing. And then I could kind of move forward from there. But yeah, you know, the, the difference then, like after that, that moment of exploring and trying to find those melodies and stuff is just the volume in a, in a doc. You just have to do a lot more generally. Your music works so well in those because those sto- those subject matters are already so dramatic. Like the drama is there, the emotion is there, and your music complements it. Like it finds the right pace, you know, the fu- the right rhythm, and it doesn't overtake it. Like the the sequences in We Steal Secrets, where you're just watching these email or, or direct messages take place on screen, it's kind of going up and down with how you're thinking about those thoughts like someone saying i you know i'm feeling lost i'm feeling broken i'm gonna do this i'm gonna do that your music kind of has this kind of quiet hum to it and it's like how someone is thinking it's just such a cool element that's nice to hear yeah that's funny i hadn't thought about that in a while those texts were that was such a lovely opportunity for score like the the dialogue between uh, adrian lamo and bradley at that time bradley manning and just kind of having to score the text and just stay out of the way and let the tech, you know, the, the viewer is reading and there's no dialogue necessarily. So the music is kind of, it has to be something of a light touch, but also it has to be able to sort of guide you through. And yeah. again, like thematically, it was great to have these three very strong characters and take these themes and then kind of throw them out of context as the, as the story develops. And, you know, that's, that's really, that's a, a very kind of give me thing. Like he, he likes that. Yeah, that kind of cinematic technique, I guess, of light motif, which is something that you know, going back to John Williams, I, I'm a little bit partial to myself. Sure, yeah, yeah, sure. Um, uh, yeah, and I, I think uh, with those documentaries included, is it, it seems like you just pick such meaningful projects to work on. Like, uh, for example, the the Netflix series, unbelievable. You know, and, and then also, of course, the the Alex Gibney documentaries and and many others. Is that something you're just kind of naturally drawn to, or is it more so just by chance who you're working with that how that's how the paths align? Um, I think it's a little bit of both. I think I'm very fortunate in that sense to have to be guided towards projects like that. I think that I generally my music tends to be maybe a tiny bit weirder than most or something. Yeah, yeah, but in, um, in a cool way. In a cool way. For I sure. hope so. I tend to get excited by, again, you know, like trying to find something new and different and a different kind of approach. So generally, maybe that's to do with some of the, the filmmakers that are a little more experimental in their approach to, to score. And that really suits my way of working. So, you know, right. I tend to not get the, the big bombastic Hollywood blockbuster thing, although that would be nice too. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it tends to be, um, you know, when I use orchestral instruments it tends to be a you know i'll use like a quintet i'll use a chamber group that kind of thing i actually just finished my first 
larger orchestra score that will oh, be cool. out. Yeah. I think that's probably what it is. It's sort of, you know, you tend to, you're known for your last gig on you. And like, my colors are odd. So maybe that's why. <laughs> yeah. I like how, even though you have a very experimental style, it seems like you're still kind of rooted in real instruments and like real sounds in, in a variety of ways. Does that help you keep things more grounded when you're working? I think so. I, I started out, you know, t- playing the violin terribly for a few years, but then I, you know, like I said, became a saxophone player, jazz musician, and I discovered techno and released some, some electronic music in London and then was the lead singer of a band and in New York. I kind of picked up a lot of weird skills along the way, but I think the basis for all of that has been like playing real stuff. You know, even when I'm using synths and, you know, I have to have like, I can't have the plug in CS80. I have to have mm-hmm. the real one, you know, like, right. Cause I'm an idiot and want to spend that kind of money. <laughs> something that hardly ever works. But you know, when I have that sound, I like to put it through an amp and like use weird mics. And I get very inspired by being able to touch stuff. And I, I think that that's been part of my approach and that's really important. And especially when you're using electronics, like I'm constantly trying to figure out a way to manipulate them in a way that is human whether that's like getting stupidly deep with modular synths and on this Martinet style controllers and stuff like that. It's kind of an obsession because it's so easy now to just do everything inside the box. Mm -hmm. I feel like getting out of the box is like, is a major preoccupation for me. (laughs) And it tends to give birth to the, the ideas too. Like those are the things that I tend to kind of gravitate towards the real. It's easier. Yeah, I'm very much for that. One thing I was curious about with just composing in general, when you're making the music, is the the scene that you make a song for, or even it may not be attached at the beginning, does music ever get switched around? Like you may have a certain scene in mind, but then the director says, oh, wait, no, I think it might work better here. Like is how you go about making the music for a particular scene, how it ends up happening usually? It's like, 70% 70% of the time mm. it does yeah but then there's always that moment where like that's good but actually why not put that over there that that actually happened a few times over the way in season one you know there are, in that first episode there are a few emotional beats where it's kind of building to the event of her deciding to to leave to yeah. you know, leave her family and whatnot um, and in that process I think that there are maybe two cues that I had written where it was like that one's good, but let's put it over here. And then when, you know, inevitably when that happens, when a, a producer or a director decides to do that, you have to obviously adapt it to make it fit that moment, whether it's timing or, or just kind of in terms of the, the larger context. But um, yeah, that definitely, that is something that, that happens. And it's better that happening than it getting kicked out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. Always better. better. It happens too. You know, it's all part of the, the journey. And especially with a TV show, that's scoring those first two or three episodes is so essential for finding the palette for the rest of the show. You know, getting it right is I always find the first two is always the most challenging. Hmm. And then, uh, then we're off to the races. Yeah. Well, with Away, which is a fantastic series, I, I went in not knowing really anything about it. I, I knew it was. Hillary Swank, and I knew it was uh, dealing with astronauts in space, but that opening shot 
of Earth from taken from a, the perspective of from the moon. Mm-hmm. And when your music kicks in, it was truly like instantly captivating. Again, I knew nothing going in and then I was just immediately in. I also didn't realize that Edward Zwick, who did um, yeah. Last Samurai and Glory, so many others, he, he directed that first episode. But sure that co- your combination with your music, it was just like, I'm in. I have to, I have to keep watching. Right on. That's good. It's nice yeah. to hear. Yeah. yeah, that first that first cue. Weirdly, I think that was the first thing that I wrote for the show. Actually, that's a lie. It was the second thing I wrote for the show. We talked a lot about this kind of feeling of of oscillation, I guess, of like moving and kind of orbit, and especially like you know she's on the moon and whatnot. And that's something that I had talked a little bit about or experimented with on a show before that called Night Flyers, which was very different, but also in space and had that same kind of cycling thing. And I used different instruments for a way, obviously, but I had this, this way of kind of layering up sounds, like kind of setting up a loop basically, and just playing stuff that isn't to tempo, but just layering up these kind of arrhythmic sort of percussive sounds that kind of create this sort of slightly wonky cycling feeling. And, that right. first view has that, and it's basically it's me picking. I have a lovely old Soma upright piano at my studio, and um, I'm sort of picking different strings and then recording them and then looping them and then picking them again. And it kind mm. of, I think there's maybe 30 of them, and they're just sort of oh, constantly wow. kind of rotating. And they're, that was sort of like, oh, that's pretty. And then I found the, the melody that then gets kind of developed into something for, for Hillary's character. That was important, that feeling of sort of floating. It was kind of fun. But the first piece of music I wrote for that show was actually while they were still shooting. Do you remember in the story, Matt is a, a piano player? He's a pianist. Yeah. He's like playing, he plays the piano in that scene before she, before she leaves. Yeah. Um, and they needed a piece of music for it. So I was like, okay. So I wrote this thing and then like recorded my hands playing it and sent it to them on set. And Josh Charles is a fantastic guitarist, I guess. He's not really much of a piano player. He had to learn that piece and they ended up, hmm. I play in a really weird self-taught way. So they ended right. up having to hire a proper teacher. Oh, wow. <laughs> my hands didn't really do the job. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, that was kind of interesting. For a composer, it's pretty rare for us to have that experience, you know, to somehow be involved in the shoot like that. It's kind of, it's fun. It's really yeah, fun. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I did it a little bit with the magicians. They would always, every season, there would be like a musical episode. But generally speaking, it doesn't, it's a pretty rare thing. And then as the series goes on, he has the stroke and he only has the use of his right hand. So I think it's episode four or five. I had to write another piece that just uses the right hand. But, you know, he's, he's quite an accomplished mm. pianist, his character. So it had to be the sort of dexterous piece. And that was fun too. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. It's a yeah. lovely way to start the process in a way. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, and I think, again, as I was talking about with the documentaries, I couldn't believe how emotional that, even just that pilot was. I felt like that character goes through the ringer in that. I, again, I think your music, and it just seems to be the, the right mentality of serving the story mm-hmm. rather than saying, here's my moment, you know, here's my music. It's like, how can I best compliment the end goal right on yeah Yeah. and you know often it's hard to 
to to pull back you know we all mm. want to like be noticed <laughs> right <laughs> it's definitely the restraint i think is is so powerful sometimes especially with a show like this that the acting is so excellent and the, the writing is so good it's there's not a lot that needs to be done with the score other than just kind of support what's happening and there are moments where you know obviously i there are parts in the show where i really get to kind of go for it go um, out, yeah I really believe in that. I get, I'm so oversensitive to that stuff. If I'm watching TV or watching a movie and I'm being told how to feel or what to think by the score, I kind of want to switch it off, you know? Gotcha. So I'm yeah. very, I'm very aware of that. I, I never want to like tread too far. And with a show like the way that's important with a show, like unbelievable, it's even more important. That kind of light touch to just, yeah. to be there to maybe express something that isn't necessarily on camera you know that's that's another to kind of play against picture a little bit there's a sequence i think in episode eight is it where they're they do the the thing the eva moment where they're gathering ice outside the the ship and you know it's tense and there needs to be this sort of propulsive thing but we kind of talked about like maybe flipping it on its head a bit maybe have it be about like the that feeling of wonder and awe and it's like right. that's where the fear is in a way it's like whoa it's so big and empty and this is kind of whoa rather than it being like grabbing you by the throat and kind of shaking you to be right. tense it's sort of this idea that there's kind of beauty and fear all wrapped up in the same thing yeah. um, which i i really like that that idea it's cool. yeah Veering off a little bit, what are since I also do a movie podcast, have you been watching any any movies, TV shows recently you've been enjoying? Um, what have I been watching? God, I, I feel like I get into a show and then I watched Watchmen, which I thought was awesome. Oh, yeah. So good. Um, and then I kind of start watching stuff and then realize because of what's happening in the world, I kind of just want to watch The Bake Off. So. Oh, y'all, oh, please. <laughs> hey, I am right there with you. I'm right there with you. Man, I mean, like, you know, the thought of Paul Hollywood giving you the handshake is enough to bring me to tears. You know, yeah. that, I don't know what's happened to me. Maybe, maybe I'm just getting old. But, <laughs> but no, I, yeah. I, I feel that for sure. Your company, uh, Fall on Your Sword, I was looking through some of your work and I, one thing that struck me that was so cool was this commercial with Amelia Clark. Yeah. Right. From Game of Thrones. Right. Totally. <laughs> was it fun doing like a just a quick little snippet like that like a commercial yeah you know it's funny like when i when i started out i did a lot of ads and i think for maybe throughout my 20s and early 30s that was my thing and i like i said i worked at another company and and really cut my teeth on that and then left and started fall on your sword and you know for the first few years building the company in new york i i did a lot of everything and then we moved out here. And to be honest, I tend to, these days, I just do the, I focus on my own stuff, the TV right. stuff and the, the movies and the games. I'm doing those these days too. Um, so I have a small crew of composers that take care of the, of the ad. So I am going to admit that I did not actually score oh. the clinic commercial. Well, yeah. Um, but that was a fall on your sword job though. Yeah. That came through came through the business. I have a business partner, uh, Lucy Alper. So she basically produces all of the ads and helps mm-hmm. me out with the TV stuff when I need the assistant. Right. But yeah, you know, it's always, it's been kind of an interesting thing to, for me to sort of step 
away from the ad world a little bit and I get to kind of observe it. They wheel me out of retirement every now and again to do <laughs> something. But generally, I, I, you know, it's so brutal, that world. Like you can work on something for, you can work so hard on something and then just suddenly it's, it's like yeah. death and like taken yeah. away from you. And I, I feel like I'm, I'm too old to handle that kind of rejection. Fair basically. enough. <laughs> I just, you know, I, it's become music is so precious to me now and like time is precious. And I, being able to work on the kinds of projects that I work on is, is enough for me creatively. Yeah. I was talking to the composer, Michael Dana, and he was saying he doesn't really listen to that much music. Do you listen to music on your own all that much? Or are you kind of like, you kind of like to stay away from it so you're not getting too influenced by something in particular? Kind of interesting, actually. I, I would totally agree with him up to a point. I was really not listening to anything up until about two years ago. I mean, you know, like I said, I've been in bands and, you know, I think as a composer, you're just constantly making stuff. And the last thing you want to do in your downtime is to listen to something. But for, for some reason, everything changed. I think it was because of having kids. I went out and bought a, got my vinyl situation dialed at the house and kind of right. got, like, got my records back from London and just sort of started going through stuff. And, you, you know, you're basically trying to influence your children. <laughs> you will like Miles Davis. So I've started kind of, I kind of rediscovered music again, I think in the last like year or two. And it's delightful. And I find myself now being able to sort of divorce myself from what I used to think of as a kind of ear fatigue. It's maybe a different part of the brain. It's something that you can kind of like train yourself to do. Once I'm done with the day of work, mm. I can sort of go back to the house and listen to put a record on and, and feel kind of inspired by it in a way that I used not to be, which is weird. Um, mm. I'm kind of grateful for it. And it sort of made me sort of rediscover stuff. I'm going through like a Radiohead rediscovery oh, moment nice. right now. And nice. Miles and Gil Evans moment. And yeah. Uh, I'm a bit of a jazz head, so there's just there's always a jazz record being played every morning. We used to have the radio on, but the news is so miserable that we oh, I, to oh yeah listen I to final in the morning was we get the kids ready for school. So yeah, it's it's nice. So I, I now I would say I listen to a lot of stuff. I, it's all over the place, and I'm I love it. Yeah. the The last thing I, I wanted to touch on is there's this you have this connection with Pussy Riot. Yeah. Wow. Well, I, I was, I, they're <laughs> so wild. I just wanted to know what that was about. So I, I did a movie many years ago called The Notorious Mr. Boot, which is a, a documentary about an arms dealer. That was, side note, that, that project was nuts. Like they, <laughs> they didn't think they were going to get into Sundance, talk about deadlines and stuff. And they got in and it was maybe mid December and they didn't have a score. And again, mm. I, think it, I think it might have been through Alex. I, I met Tony Gerber and Max, I forget his, his last name, starts with a P. Anyway, I did that, that movie in six days, I think. Mm. And it's like about an hour and a half of score, <laughs> crazy like saxes and yeah. weird percussion. It was really fun. It was back when I lived in New York and I was like waking up at four in the morning and walk over to my studio, which happened to be three blocks away at the time. And just work until midnight and then do it again. Yeah. Very unhealthy. But anyway, Max made a doc about Pussy Riot and was kind of 
following them around. It was around the time of they did another song called I Can't Breathe. So that would tell you when it was. It was six or seven years ago, probably. And he was following them around. And he, they were looking for producers. And they met me. They came, he brought them over to the studio. And we really hit it off. And we made a track together called Oh, What a Lovely War. <laughs> Basically about the Fitting. Russian invasion of Ukraine. And it's awesome. And I don't, I think it came out. I don't really know. But um, we had this like wild experience where they, they were just like in my studio for, for two weeks. And we made this piece of music and they were just hilarious and lovely to, to hang out with. I remember like sitting at the piano and they would be like, do, you do not play in the middle of the piano. You play all the way down here or you play all the way up here. We are extremists. There's nothing <laughs> in the middle. Like, right. All right. Yeah. So, you know, that sort of gives you an idea of what that experience was like. It was crazy. But, um, yeah, that was the, that was the Pussy Riot thing. Mm. Yeah. We, we stay in touch from time to time too. Oh, cool. Cool. Is there any, anything else you want to mention? Will? like anything else about your work, anything I haven't touched on just cause I, I love talking to you, but I, I don't want to leave anything hanging. Blimey. I, I don't know. I guess, uh, I have this movie coming out next year called Bliss, which is, uh, going to come out on Amazon, directed by Mike Cahill, who works as a oh, cool. filmmaker I work with a lot. And, you know, he and I, we've done a lot of movies together. Like, that was the beginning of our working relationship. We did tons of TV. Like, I think we've done maybe eight shows at this mm. point, which is nuts. And we haven't made a, a, done a, worked on a movie together in years. So this is the first one in a while, and it's been just such a joy. And this movie is amazing, and I'm really excited about it. Cool. Owen Wilson and Summer Hayek. Um, oh man, kind of about simulation theory, but yeah, it's it's wonderful. So that's happening, and I'm I'm also working on my own record, which has been kind of in the background for a while, yeah. like getting sidetracked and not getting involved in it. But you know, COVID has uh, started to maybe potentially carve out a bit of time for me to finally take that a bit more seriously. So yeah, yeah, some fun stuff. Cool. Yeah, like his his movies are so just so provocative, you know, and they're so complex. It's I can't wait for that. Yeah, and it's it, he has a very you're right. He has a very specific style, and this is a this is no exception. It's big. It's like another very very big intense idea, sci fi kind of idea, but you know, seen through this very sort of human lens. Yeah. So it's excellent. Cool. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I just, I can't thank you enough for taking the time. It was so nice meeting you. And nice to see you, Henry. Yeah, oh, thank you. nice to chat. Thank you. And um, yeah, like, as I've said before, your work in many ways has really impacted me. And I, it just, it means a lot. Thank you so much. It's great to hear. Uh, please come back. You're, you're welcome back anytime. And yeah, and one. please stay safe. Take care. Yeah, you too. All right, man. Um, Okay, everybody. Well, we, I guess that's about it. We really hope you enjoyed the show and we'll see you next time.